We've talked through uh, three things as we talk through this idea of being fluent in the gospel. We've talked through this idea of what the gospel is. Think of the gospel right here. And at the core of the gospel is this idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That God uh, created us, formed us in our mother's womb, correct? That we all fell into sin. We needed a Savior to bring us back to God in right relationship with God. And He is going to fully restore His creation in us one day when He returns. This is the core of the gospel message. We also talked through how these two right here, this idea of religion and irreligion, are both equal and opposite enemies of the gospel. Like we all know this is an enemy of the gospel, irreligion. That doing what you want to do, sinning, living for yourself is an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all know that. We forget, though, and we kind of fall into religion as our functional gospel. We forget this an equal and opposite enemy of the gospel. We also talked about uh, a few weeks ago when we actually believe in this gospel message, which is kind of a narrow road, isn't it? To believe that Jesus did all this for us and that the role of a, of a, of a human being to be in right relationship with Him is to put faith in this message. It's a narrow road. Think about it like this. It's a narrow road, what Jesus says, but it has great implications. This gospel affects every part of our lives. When there is true faith in this gospel message, it affects the way that we parent. It affects how we see, how we see sex. It affects how we, how we uh, use our money. It affects how we uh, live with our spouse. It affects every part of our life, this singular gospel message. And then lastly, we talked about this idea that here's the truth, right? That we know this message. We know it should affect all these areas of our life. But many times we fail, don't we? We look up and we see ourselves full of worry, full of anger, frustration, apathy, and sin. And the question is, how do we respond whenever we fail? And that's to this idea of true gospel repentance, that we must Think of our lives as a tree, right? And we must ask ourselves, what fruit are we experiencing? We see in God's Word that the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience is the fruit of the Spirit. But many times, we don't experience that kind of fruit. And then we must go back down to the root of our faith. Because our fruit just shows the root of our faith, which comes like this right here. Are we trusting and believing in the gospel? And here, this is the last week of this little series we've been doing. But here is the, here is the end game of this. That is, me and you and us and Christians around the world believe in this message. And we see fruits in our lives. It should lead to the gospel going out. Does that make sense? That when this is real to us, it should lead to the gospel then going forth. And I would argue that many times we don't see the gospel go forth because we're not believing in the true gospel. Here's what I mean. If we put our functional faith in religion, which is what I do, we're not going to share that message very much because it's not a very transforming message. 
the message that I am God, I must do this, you must do this, come do these things, is not a very transforming message that we're going to share. Here, here's, the, here's the truth, and you know this is true too for your own life. Um, I know that people share and talk about and show off things they love and, and things they think work. Here's how I know that. I have Facebook and I've seen everybody's diets, correct? That uh, if somebody finds a diet that works for them, they show off what, what, what they look like and they share what the diet's done for them, correct? It's because it's actually changed them. They believe that it actually works. The same is true of the gospel, that we don't show off and share the gospel because many times it has not transformed or worked for us. And I would argue that's because we're putting our faith in a lesser message. We're putting our faith in the message of religion, not the message of the gospel. And so the fruit we see is the fruit of religion and not the fruit of the gospel. So today I want to talk about for a few moments what it looks like to have the gospel go forth. And there's really kind of two lenses we're going to look through today. The lens of demonstrating and declaring. That as the gospel goes forth the life of believers, there will be this lens of demonstrating the gospel and this lens of declaring the gospel. So what does it look like to, to demonstrate and declare the gospel? Let's go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 14. And we're going to talk through demonstrating the gospel. And there's two words I want to draw attention to real quick as we do this. As you think through demonstrating the gospel, I want you to think through this, this idea of being faithful. and being hospitable. Being faithful and being hospitable is how we demonstrate the gospel. Look at Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus says here, You are the light of the world. He's talking to his disciples here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. That the disciples of Jesus should literally be the light the world looks to. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, let the good news, let the fruit of your life, the gospel light, shine before others, so that they may see your good works, they may see your fruits, right? The fruits of gospel belief. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This idea of, of being faithful is that this is us being faithful to be the light. Listen, we, we can't show or share if there's not truly light in us. Like we must be living this out ourselves, right? So, so the question we have to ask is what are we demonstrating? Because the light of the gospel shines bright. Have you ever known those people, those people before in your life that um, they just exude just like warmth, peace, a love? They just exude these things. And it's like, it's like a light that you're just drawn to, right? You find those people. That's the light of the gospel. When we, Because here's the deal. Um, when a crisis hits in your life, or you just worry about everyday things, financial things, 
just normal things, right? But you really begin to apply the gospel to this. So you, you think through finances and you understand, you know, God made me. I'm a child of God. And, and I sinneth away from God. But then God came near and now calls me a son because of, because of what Jesus did. As a son of the king of the universe, I don't have to worry about money, do I? And so the fruit of that right there is the fruit of someone who has peace, who has patience, who's not worrying, which is light in the midst of the world. But I will say this, if we're putting our faith in what we do, putting our faith in our good works, our ability to do this, do that, when a crisis hits, what comes out is the fruit of worry, the fruit of control, the fruit of anger, correct? And that is not showing or displaying the true light of the gospel that Jesus is talking about here. We can't be a city set on a hill that's full of light if we're trying to display the light of religion. The light of religion does not do this. Our lives should reflect faith in the gospel. Another way to say this, our lives should be like this gospel movie on display for others. That when they see us, they are seeing this like lived out faith in Christ. This, this vis- visible picture of Christ here on earth. Let's walk through creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and how we can display these things. If we're putting our faith truly that God created us as a people, Psalms 139 this week says, we were formed in our mother's womb. If we believe these things, that we're truly a child of God, it should change what we see ourselves, and maybe more importantly, how we see others. That every person is a child of God made in the image of God. This should change so that we see the rest of the world. Black, white, poor, rich, all these kinds of things. It should change so that we see people through faith that God created us. Now, by us knowing that that, that creation fell, that that we fell, that we sinned, correct? It should change. It should promote and provoke a humility in us, correct? Because we're just so highly aware of our sin. We know that we have sinned, and so we show mercy to others because that we know we have sinned, that they're all a part of this fall with us. This, this gospel metaphor on display, this gospel will be on display for others to see. Now, redemption. We, we move into redemption. This question, am I living a life that looks like it has been redeemed? If we put our faith in Jesus, our life should look like it's been redeemed. There should be less anxiety Here's the word I want to tell you. There just should be more joy. Because here's why. If uh, we've all seen, this is my, my date myself here, Ed McMahon's thing, what was that? What did he do back in the day? What was it called? Ed McMahon, his little giveaway thing? What was it called? Sweepstakes. Sweepstakes, yes. Back, I remember being a kid, he would bring the big checks to the door, right? That's great. Everybody gets so excited, and it was a beautiful picture. They're just so happy. What were they full of in that moment? They're full of joy. And happiness. And that's a good thing. It's a right thing to help people financially, and that's a, very exciting. But if we are truly redeemed and brought near to the God of the universe to spend eternity with Him, that should change our perspective, shouldn't it? should change the way that we have joy in our lives. And a redeemed life is a joyful life. If we're putting faith in this, so this is truly a gospel movie on display in our lives. This is how we demonstrate this. Last restoration. Am I pursuing the work of restoration? God has redeemed me, so it should change the way that I go out in the world. Am I truly investing in others because God invested in me? Am I, here's a big one here, 
Am I forsaking the pursuits of the world and pursuing the things of God's kingdom? Because if we've been redeemed and now we're called ministers of reconciliation, if we're ambassadors of Christ, then we go out to do the work of Christ. And so it should mean that we have less time for pursuits of this world and more time for the pursuits of God's kingdom. And what this really comes down to is living with great purpose. So if the display of redemption is joy, the display of restoration is purpose. That if we're truly living on display as with belief in the gospel, there should be joy and purpose in our lives. And I will tell you, uh, we live, is it true to say many times, in a joyless and purposeless world, correct? And people are flailing to find joy and flailing to find purpose. Doing all these things. And we have we should be this display to the watching world. The light of the gospel should be a light of joy and a light of purpose. This is how we are faithful. We're faithful to be the light of the world by living out the gospel on display. But here's the thing. Look at um, verse 15. So it says, you lie the world. He says, people, do not people light a lamp, put it under a basket. We don't have this light and then hide this light. We have the light of the gospel, the joy of the gospel, and it says, put it on a stand. Basically, let the world see who you are. And we do that by being hospitable. We do that by countless ways of inviting others into our lives. We have to get close to people so they can see the light. Right? We have to get close so they can see. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? That in the midst of our fallenness, He came forth. It's about to be Christmas, right? He came forth as a baby. The God-man, right? He came near to us and put on flesh. That was the ultimate act of hospitality, was Jesus Christ coming near to us. And now we're called to go and do likewise. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to do this. What's interesting in um, the passages on being a pastor and, and being in church leadership, we talk about uh, being a faithful man of one, one spouse, being this, being that. It all says to be hospitable. That the leaders of the church should be leading forth and showing and practicing hospitality. Now, I want to say there's really two types of hospitality that I'm going to go through very quickly. The first is this idea of planned hospitality. This is that you're going to um, you're going to make a plan to invite someone into your life. You're going to cook a meal. You're going to send out a text. You're going to plan a night to invite someone into your life to honor and serve and love them. And can I just put something out there for us? I think one of the greatest things we can do in trying to demonstrate and declare the gospel is to invite those who do not think like us to our table. Uh, this is how we demonstrate the gospel, is that we find people who think differently than us, other religions, other political beliefs, other stages of life, and invite them to the table to just, because at the table, there's just great like, common ground. And the second thing is, this is the ministry of Christ, wasn't it? Just eating with sinners over and over and over and over and over again. That was his life and his ministry. And I will tell you, there should be plans on our calendar because of faith in the gospel that lead us to do this. 
that should be the posture and the measure of our lives. That's planned hospitality. Second is this idea of spontaneous hospitality. It's this picture of we bring the good news wherever we go. That if we're going to get a coffee at Starbucks, there should be this way that we're bringing the good news with us. Wasn't this the ministry of Jesus over and over again? How he would um, be going somewhere, have a certain thing to do, and then be bothered by somebody else? And he, he never got frustrated, did he? Jesus never seemed bothered by people, did he? He was just always, in a sense, open to this. And the key to this, honestly, if I can go way back, is just this idea of hearing the Father's voice. That if we are walking with God and with belief in the gospel, that the, the Father's voice should be near to us. And our response is to obey the Father's voice. If he says stop and show, we stop and show. Stop and share, we stop and share. But that we take hospitality wherever, wherever we go. Being hospitable requires sacrifice. It's going to require your time, isn't it? If you're planning a night at, listen, planning a night with somebody is really hard, isn't it? It's tough to like find time to do that, to plan. That takes time. It takes time to be spontaneous with things. You have places to go, people to see, things to do, but God might stop you in that moment to stop and be present with someone who needs that right now. That takes time. It does. I'll tell you, it also takes money. It really does. It takes money to cook for other people, to go and buy the best food, to invite them in. That takes money to invest in others. It takes money to invest in the least of these by being spontaneous, doesn't it? It takes time, it takes money, it takes sacrifice. The question I want to answer next is, what do we do? So let's say that we're living with the lie of the gospel. Like people are seeing joy and purpose in our lives. And we're inviting them in. We're, we're putting our light on a stand so people can see it. Well, what do we do when they get close? If they're finally in our homes, or they're finally somewhere with us, or they're finally talking to us, what do we actually do? That's our next point today, which is declare. We declare. And we declare by listening and by sharing. We declare by listening and by sharing. Listen, getting the gospel out, and not just like in our heads, is of, of utmost importance. It's huge. But it's also important that we love people and understand people as we do this. That, that through this, we can love and understand people. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. There's a lot there. The person in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A man of understanding will draw it out. We need to become a people that are understanding. We must seek to understand others, like to hear where they're coming from, what their story is, what's going on, before we expect them to understand us and the gospel message. We must seek to understand. Basically, we need to learn how to ask good questions. We need to learn to listen. We must learn to listen even before that we share. Listening before talking is a posture that we should have because it's a picture of humility. It's a picture of humility. See, Jesus was constantly using questions to draw out people's hearts, to see where they were coming from. Look at the woman at the well. 
He didn't just start with her secrets and her hidden sins, but he started with questions. And he drew her out, and he drew her out, and he drew her out. Don't you know this? People are just dying to be heard. There's one thing I've seen as a pastor, I'll tell you this, that people, if you sit down with somebody and look them in the eye and ask them how they're doing, that could be three hours right there. Because in this day and age, no one is heard. Many times, not even their own marriage are they heard. Because we're just way too busy. Here's also how we know this. Counseling has gone through the roof. And I am for counseling. I'm not saying, counseling is a good and a right thing. But I do think that counseling could be mitigated if just we just stopped and listened to each other once in a while. Many times, uh, half of pastoral counseling is just letting someone just talk. <laughs> letting them get themselves, kind of like throw up their junk and then say, okay, that's a little silly, now I feel better. We must listen to people. Here's an easy way to think about this, of, of how to listen. Uh, instructions. First thing to, is to listen up. When you start listening to somebody, it's the first thing to do is to listen up. Ask God, help me slow down. Even this morning, I was thinking about this for myself. I just, there's so many different things going on. Talking to people today, and engaging with even you guys, others in our church. God, help me to slow down. Just help me to slow down and be present with people. Once again, Jesus had a lot of work to do, didn't he? And he basically had three years of ministry, and he just never seemed hurried. Just never seemed hurried because he was doing the Father's bidding. Listen up. Ask God to help us slow down. Ask God to help us listen. God, what's going on? What's really going on beneath what they're saying? Let the Holy Spirit, the counselor, correct? Help us counsel others. And in short, ask God to be the counselor. To be present with God as we're present with other people. So we listen up. Second, we listen to their story. So we ask God to help us, to guide us, to, to lead us. We listen up, but then we listen to their story. People will tell you what they are functionally trusting in their life. They will If you just listen, don't talk, just ask. Uh, Francis Schaeffer said this, um, if I have an hour with somebody to share the gospel, I'm going to spend 55 minutes listening and five minutes sharing. Because I want to hear where they're coming from, who is their functional Savior. Because what you're going to hear, let's, let's use this right here, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You're going to hear what they think was the fall in their life. I got a divorce, um, I lost money, I got sick, and you're going to hear their functional Savior. I got remarried right? Or I finally got a good job where I make good money. Those things, if you're listening for their story, if you listen up, then listen to their story, you're going to hear their functional Savior. Is that true? Because we, we do it ourselves, don't we? Here's what Christians tend to do in, 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 the, in the Bible Belt, is we, we had a terrible church, and our, our redemption is we found a good church. And the hero of our story many times is our churches and not our Savior. That's true of covenant as well, just so we're clear. That we put our faith in our church and not in our Savior. That's all of the sermon right there, though. Um, and so we must listen for their story. Hear this, though. Demonstrating, displaying the gospel, joy, purpose, getting near, being hospitable, listening to their story, they're huge. But if that's all we do, we, we haven't finished our job, have we? Listen, the gospel does not, does not go forth by osmosis, by you being a nice person. 
Hear this. We must share the gospel. 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 We listen and we hear their story. We hear the functional Savior and then we share the true story and the true Savior. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Romans 10.14 says this, How will then they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not ever heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? People must hear the Word to respond to the Word. They must hear the Gospel story to respond to the Gospel. But how and what we share is hugely important. Like I said, I think sometimes we share this gospel of religion. This gospel of do more, go to church here, come be a part of our club this way. That's how you find God. We must learn to share our story, like your story, my story, in light of the true story of the gospel. Many times when people share their story, we hear a lot about church, we hear a lot about religion, we hear a lot about things they did or haven't done. Many times, if we're not careful, we don't ever share Jesus the hero of the story, do we? That we share something else as the hero of the story. It's surprising and sad how many Christians have little to know Jesus in their story. So when you tell your story, or even when you hear someone else's story, ask this question, who is the hero of the story? Like, who is the person who made things right in this story, right? Who is the hero in this story? So, how do we grow in telling our story and lie the true story? We use the four movements of the true story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'm going to walk us through this very quickly. So, creation. The creation part of the narrative, the creation movement is all about identity. So as you're thinking about your story, think about this. What shaped you into the person you are today? What shaped you into the person you are today? Why are you here? What is your identity? Your job? Hopefully it's Christ. It's your job. Is it your family? Is it your background? Is it your, your money? What is your identity? What, what, is, what created you? Then we move towards the fall. The fall is all about brokenness. Answer this question for yourself. What is destroyed or is destroying your identity or purpose? How did you, how did we get broken? Like what messed up in our lives? This is the best one for this question here. Who or what is the problem in my life? That's, that's the key right there to me in this part of the story. Who or what is or was the problem in my life? Now, redemption. We keep moving in, in our story and lie the true story. Redemption. Redemption is about rescue and deliverance. Two questions. How do you or how did, did you need to be rescued? Like, how did you need to be rescued? Who or what is your Savior? 
Who or what is your Savior? Last thing, restoration. It's this longing in every person to change. This longing in every single... How many books is written on self-help in this world, right? Podcasts, talks, books, all kinds of things. Because we have this desire to change. That we know that somehow that things are broken, they need to be fixed. The question is, what has changed and what will change? This is the, this is the restoration part of our story. What has changed and what will change. All right, I'm going to share with you my story very quickly and lie the true story. So I was born into a very religious uh, household, um, and I was the good kid. I was the kid um, who didn't get in trouble, who made good grades, mama's boy, um, all these things, right? Um, at the heart of me, I was a pleaser. And I see this in my son Hayes now. Wired very simply, he wants people to like him, wants to please people so, so much. What I mostly wanted uh, was my dad's approval, right? I wanted him to just say that I did a good job, that this, all these. I just wanted those things so bad. So my identity was really to please him. And here's where the fall happened for me, where things went bad. It was my dad left. I was 13 years old, I think. Uh, my parents got a divorce. My dad remarried. My view of the world was just completely fractured and broken. And remember, my functional identity was I wanted to please this man, and now I saw that he was broken himself. And, and I just kind of came apart. And so I went to a new God. Okay, well, I'm going to try to do uh, good things. I'm going uh, to go to ministry, and I'm going to try to do great, great ministry. That's my new identity, right? And then I found that, that ministry is a, is a horrible idol. That ministry is never, as much great ministry or approval you get from ministry is never going to satisfy. And it hit me about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. This is not going to satisfy me. And there was another fall, another just awareness of my brokenness that these things, either my father or ministry and other people, those things cannot satisfy. So in my story, I, I had a real need. I, I put my faith in Christ years ago, and I believe that was true. But it, I remember 2008, there was this true like, okay, only one thing can redeem me, right? Only one thing can make me, and that is Jesus. That Him, through His life, His death, His resurrection, and faith in that gospel is the only thing that I can cling to. Everything else I must push away and throw off because Jesus is better. And because he is better, he's redeemed me. And now I am not perfect by any means. Ask my spouse, not perfect, but I have hope. I am redeemed. I'm relationship with God. I'm secure. Does that make as a child of God? And so now I can go forth and I can tell you, God is changing me. Not as much as I'd like to, obviously, but I still see change. If I look back two, three, four, five, six years ago, it's unbelievable what God has done in my life in spite of myself every single time, correct? And that's, that's my story. And you see in that city of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And here, here is my encouragement to us today as we think through this of demonstrating and declaring the gospel. We demonstrate by being faithful. And think of these two words of being faithful, joy and purpose. Joy is us putting faith in our redemption, that we're redeemed. That, that We should have great joy because of that, right? And now as restorers, we have great purpose, that we 
are faithful and we're the light of the gospel as we have joy and we have, I don't know why I just did this, as we have joy and we have purpose. But also, we must let people come see the light. We put the light on the stand by being hospitable. We let them get close to us as Christ got close to us by coming on earth, right? So I was talking, you know, it's Christmas time coming up, and we're talking about me and the boys. We're talking about uh, Jesus being born. And my, my kids are like functional heretics because they're talking about how Jesus wasn't God as a baby. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, don't say that again. He was always God. And he came near to us, even as a baby. And he was this ultimate act of being hospitable, him coming near to us. And we go and do likewise. We have the light, we have this great joy, great purpose, and we let others see it in our homes, at our workplaces, wherever we go. But it doesn't end there. We must share and declare the gospel, correct? And we do it first by listening. We listen up to the Father. God, what are you doing in their life right now? How can I serve? How can I stop? How can I listen? Lord, help me listen to these people. And then we listen to their story. We, we ask the question, who is their functional Savior here? As they're telling us their life story, what is their functional Savior? And then finally, we hear who that Savior is. We come and we share the true story. And I think sharing our story in light of the true story is one of the most captivating things that we can do in this world. But the question we must end with is this. Are we truly putting our faith in that story? Or is it something else? And the fruit of your life will bear that out. And, and today might be a day where you're like, I'm way off here. I've got work to do. Well, do the work. Like, good conviction should lead us not to more despair and more shame because our sins were paid for, correct? Good conviction should lead us to the one who paid our price for our sins. That's good news today. If you're feeling conviction, don't go to shame and despair. If you're feeling conviction, go to the feet of Jesus. He is slow to anger. He's merciful. And friends, if we are going to his feet and we receive the good news of the gospel, we're going to see fruit from that. We're going to see joy and purpose. We're going to be quick to share the good news because it's real to us. So here's some next steps for us this week. Write down three names of people that you want to reach out to. Write down three names, just three names, that you know that you need to demonstrate and declare the gospel to. Three people. Find a way to invite those people in and be hospitable. It might be a phone call. It might be dinner at your house. It might be lunch during work one day. Just find some way to put your light on the stand, right? Find some way for them to see the light. Practice listening with the people in your life. Yes, those three, but do it with everybody in your life. Do it with your spouse, your coworker, your friend, your kids, whoever it might be. Just practice listening. Like, ask them, how are you doing? <laughs> like, really ask them, how are you doing? That's just Christian charity and love, isn't it? To just stop and be present with each other. Even today, as we're out here today, I would encourage you, I'm encouraging myself right now, to just stop and be present and listen. Don't you need that in your own life? Somebody listen to you? Well, let's listen to others. Here's homework. Write down your story using the four movements of the true story. Take time today and write down your story. Using these because we must be ready to give an account of what God has done in our lives, correct? This is your purpose now. That is your purpose to declare this good news. Practice sharing your story. Tell it to the wall, tell it to the mirror, 
Tell it to a friend, tell it to a spouse, tell it to your kids. Practice sharing your story. Practice sharing your story. And last and probably most important, share your story with others. Be ready to share your story with others. Uh, This will take boldness. It will take boldness. It will. Let me pray for us.